Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, a nonprofit organization, partnering with people in communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefits to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, this morning, we'll be looking at how we construct land use ordinances at the town level, land use ordinances that work. And we have some wonderful guests in the studio who can help us with that topic. Topic. Uh, Tom Martin is with us. Uh, he's the executive director of the Hancock County Planning Commission. Welcome to you, Tom. Thank you, Ron. I'm glad to be here. And you, you've been here before, so we're, we can say welcome back. Uh, Noel Musson is uh, with CES Engineering, and he's a planner. Um, and he's working kind of on the private sector side, um, looking at how you use land use ordinances as a developer to plan good uh, development. Welcome. Yes, thanks, Ron. Great. And you're based in Southwest Harbor? Yep, I am. I work out of Southwest Harbor. Great. And we're also pleased to have Dale Sprinkle. Dale is chair of the planning board in Surrey, and Surrey is a a small community. We'll ask Dale to describe um, his town in in a few moments, but um, a a small town that's looking at the whole question of how to to guide growth. Um, So welcome to you, Dale. Thank you very much, Ralph. Great. Tom, we'll start with you. Um, A little bit background, uh, uh, if you could, about the Planning Commission. Um, Most people don't encounter the Planning Commission on a day-to-day basis, but um, if they live in a town in Hancock County and you have uh, counterparts in other parts of the state, um, what is a Planning Commission? Well, the Planning Commission was established by uh, the state, but it's supported by municipalities and also the county And its primary role is to provide advisory planning services to communities and also to get involved in community development, transportation, other solid waste management, other such services people may need. Our main role in planning and zoning is to help towns in the drafting of comprehensive plans and zoning ordinances. We don't have any regulatory power. Mm. So you're beginning to introduce the the real um, topic of the day, comprehensive plans and and zoning ordinances. What's the relationship between those two two, uh, creations? Well, there's really a two-phase process if a town wants to have – a land use ordinance. We usually use the term land use rather than zoning because zoning uh, scares some people the term. The first is you need per state law to have a comprehensive plan which is really a look at what is the town uh, today, where has it been, where is it going and also what policies does the town want to enact for the future. The idea is before you have zoning you need to have some sort of roadmap to tell you where you're going to go and and a comprehensive plan is not just about zoning, it's also about other issues the town may want to face is does it want to extend its water and sewer lines? Does it want to 
preserve its historic uh, villages? Does it want to uh, seek grants for improving the downtown? But it does contain recommendations on what would be in a zoning ordinance or how if the town already has a zoning ordinance, that ordinance would be revised. Mm. So the the plan is kind of the comprehensive plan is kind of a, a statement of what is and a vision for the future, and the ordinance is a translation of that into into something that is binding that, that's that's part of the town codes and, and laws. Yes. Mm. So the the notion of of a, a land use ordinance or a zoning ordinance, what how, where did those where did they where did they come from and and uh, and how would you um, describe it if you were to answer a, um, an exam on a piece of paper, what would be the, the right um, choice of an answer in terms of a, of a, a zoning ordinance or a well, land use ordinance? Zoning has been around in the U.S. for over 100 years, but it's been around in other parts of the world for far longer than that. Even in Roman times, there were standards about how far apart buildings should be set. Mm. And in more recent times, uh, it came down to the fact of trying to separate out undesirable uses from each other like the classic you don't want a pig farm next to a residential development. And it's evolved in the recent decades to be a little more complex when uh, we started confronting the issue of sprawl and trying to manage development. I think you can see a classic example of this. For example, if you look at Ellsworth uh, and, the z- and the zoning in Ellsworth or lack thereof back a few decades ago caused some uh, major problems in terms of traffic and so forth. But zoning helps manage that. And there were no zoning in Ellsworth that controlled how vehicles, for example, access a commercial development, uh, required that turning lanes be installed along major roads to enter major development. The situation in Ellsworth would be far worse than it is. Mm. So the the zoning ordinance and and uh, it, the the relationship is really about public health and safety and convenience. It's kind of uh, it's it's part of the town's responsibility to plan um, for its citizens and to make sure that citizens aren't injured by the actions of someone else. Yes, that's a very fair summary. Mm. Um, why does zoning have such a bad rap or land use ordinance? You know, your experience, Tom. You've been in in the planning profession for uh, many years. Um, where are the origins of the difficulties that come about? I think it's because Maine has a very strong tradition of private property rights. People are very concerned about being able to sell their land without any restrictions, be able to do what they want with their land, being able to leave their son or daughter a lot, and they don't want to have restrictions that way because traditionally Maine has been a state that was land poor that it, was, it wasn't a very wealthy state, but people had plenty of land. Land was one of the few ways people had to make money selling land, so they were afraid of having that right restricted. So um, then we need to go back to what is land ownership. Um, my, my long ago education says that land ownership is a bundle of rights. Um, and so the the right to develop land is is one of those um, rights. I suppose there are others that have to do with the ability to use the the resources on that land in some way, um, and the ability to pass that land on. So land is a bundle of rights, and it seems like the, the municipality, backed up by the state, is is saying the town has some ability to to manage some of those rights. Yes, and I think that one of the things that people sometimes overlook is that your property values are affected as a real estate agent would say by three factors, location, location, location. Mm. And if you have a piece of property and something happens next door to you that has a deleterious effect on your property, 
that also affects your property value. Mm. So it's trying to what zoning really, good zoning really is, is trying to find a balance between protecting the owner's right to to uh, make decisions regarding his or her land, while also protecting the owner from neighboring undesirable uses. Mm. Well, let's get some background from some of our um, other guests here. Um, Noel, you're coming at it from a, 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 the point of view of, of an engineering firm. Um, describe CES uh, Inc. at first and then and uh, how you come at um, the whole question of land use ordinances. Well, uh, CES Inc. is a basically a consulting firm. We do engineering, uh, planning, um, sciences, and surveying. Um, we do a lot of consulting with both private sector clients and and public sector clients um, my personal background is uh, slightly different I'm, n- I'm not an engineer I'm a land use planner um, I have a master's degree in community planning and development um, so I, I try to translate uh, sort of engineering talk into everyday talk mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I also have a background in municipal planning and state and regional planning mm-hmm. so and now I'm working for the private sector, the dark side, as they say. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, I think um, the, the, the role of a, of a consultant is to help a landowner and the, the community um, make a marriage. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So how do you approach um, uh, zoning ordinances or land use ordinances? Um, what's your um, – how do you basically learn to read them in a particular town? Well, basically, um, you know, to start off, normally what we do is have a client come in and say, I have a – you know, a piece of land. I'd like to do, say, a residential development with it. And we say, okay, um, let's check it out from uh, both uh, what are the site characteristics itself, and then we'll we'll get a copy of the ordinance and, and read over the ordinance um, based on that particular site. Um, so you're trying to match what the land, um, the capacity of the land to, to, uh, uh, to kind of... Uh, support some form of development, yep. and then see what the town is saying in its ordinances. Now, not all towns have ordinances. Is that right, Tom? Not all towns have gone the route of having a comprehensive plan and, and then creating zoning ordinances? Yes. Of the 38 municipalities in Hancock County, only 20 have uh, town-wide zoning. That is zoning to cover the entire town. Every town is required by state law to have shoreline zoning, which covers the 250 feet from the shore. Mm-hmm. So, no. what's the next step? You've, you've looked at the land. You've looked at the zoning ordinances. What's the next step for you as a developer? Uh, what we do is, is sit down with the, with the owner and our client and kind of go over some scenarios with them, um, talk to them about what their goals are, and then we'd approach the town um, and ask uh, if it's a town with a planning board, mm-hmm. hopefully. <laughs> we'd approach them uh, with a, hopefully a sketch plan is what we usually like to do, which is basically sort of a generic idea on paper where we can kind of toss around some of the concerns of the planning board, kind of get the project out there for people to, to chew on a little bit um, and and uh, go through that process. You know, there's a lot of on-site investigations in terms of um, wetland areas, um, you know, developable areas, but there's also that sort of public process that we have to go through. And the, the, in terms of your particular firm, what's the size range of, of projects that you might get involved in, the smallest and the largest, for, well, for we do example? Anything from one house to uh, multiple houses. Mm-hmm. We do single-family residential developments to multifamily mm-hmm. residential developments. We do commercial developments. We do business parks. Mm-hmm. Um, Lots of different anything practically okay. that you could do. It, it really depends on sort of the goals of that person and, and what's sort of allowed in the area that the property is located in and, and 
that kind of thing. Right, and not everyone needs um, a consulting firm to, to do this work. Um, That's certainly. correct. Right, yep. right. Um, Tom, um, Noel mentioned the, the notion that he hopes they have a planning board. Do all towns have planning boards? Towns are required by state law to have a planning board. Okay, so there, there should be a planning board in place even though there might not be a town-wide land use ordinance. Yes. Okay. And and then how do, well, I guess we can turn to Dale. Dale is, is a chair of a planning board. Um, what's your situation? First of all, a little bit about your background. How did you get into this work as a, as a town planner, a volunteer? And then talk a little bit about the, the town of Surrey. Well, like the, it was the big bucks that attracted me. <laughs> uh, obviously, these are uh, planning boards that, at our level are, are all volunteer. Yes. Um, and it's from my point of view, it was just I had some background in municipal government uh, and also in uh, assessments and so forth. So I'd worked with planning a lot in, in two careers. And so uh, it was a natural for me to to give this way back to the community. Right. And uh, uh, our our town is a small town, obviously, thir- about 1,300 population. And if you will, we're a bedroom community with obviously uh, totally different um, problems or scenarios than Ellsworth and other others that have a lot of commercial development. We have almost no commercial development, mm-hmm. and uh, so anyway, our uh, uh, our planning board is uh, well. We meet once a month, and we consider um, any development, or I should say. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> we would Noel would come to us if he's going to develop a uh, residential uh, development, and then uh, uh, we also handle any commercial development, and then we also handle anything that goes on within the shoreline zoning area. Mm-hmm. So, does Surrey have a, a, a town-wide uh, land use ordinance? Yes, we do. Oh. Was and that a hard battle to get to that stage? Well. Um, when I came on board, it was it was in place. Although mm-hmm. we are right now in the in the process of of going through it and redoing it, just because it it uh, it has some problems, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and also uh, we have a comprehensive plan, but it's an older comprehensive plan. It was developed in 1992, and we recently worked on having a new up to date one, but it was voted down, and so we are now sort of in limbo on that, although we do have a comprehensive plan in place. Right. The only other thing I would add there is that our town hasn't changed that much. Uh, as again, we are a, a bedroom community, mm-hmm. so uh, we haven't really had a need to to panic yet. <laughs> right. Well, what are some of the issues that you think the town is going to be facing in the next 10 years that might uh, or that, that may have led to people thinking that a new comprehensive plan was necessary? What were some of the issues that you were facing? Well, uh, we're really not a target probably for a lot of commercial development. Mm-hmm. Um, Surrey has a considerable shoreline and, and as such is very scenic and we certainly could be a target for residential development. Um, to date, that's that's been f- fairly small. There's we're almost always working on some um, development, but it's usually only a few lots. Mm. But but uh, th- there are those of us who realize that we could become another Cape Cod, mm-hmm. and I think just about everybody in town would like to avoid that. Right, and I, I seem to recall that Surrey was particularly interested in in as much as possible preserving some sense of a rural 
uh, character for their town. I, th- I think we're probably not unique in that. Most small towns, I think you, you'd, right. if you'd poll the folks, they want to remain a rural character. Right. And yet they, they are increasingly seeing land that was once farmland, forest land, shoreland um, being divided up into smaller lots, and then um, there are houses appearing on those, that's, which takes that, away some of the rural character. That's true, right. but it's not to, – to date, it's not to the point where anybody's panicking. Right. But right. it's just that it, with some foresight, we, we really – the town really needs to think about what could happen in the future and be prepared for it. Right. And uh, and as Tom has pointed out, without uh, without regulations, um, we we we're just impotent. Uh, right. So, for instance, um, if you didn't have regulations, and someone said, "Oh, Surrey has been residential, but we'd like to put in a, a in a resort," you know, you'd you'd have some at least some guidelines to say, hey, "Let's negotiate about that." Well, unfortunately, the guidelines, the comprehensive plan, um, is is not controlling. Okay. It's just a, it's just a statement of of, of desire, mm. uh, uh, and the problem with that is if there's not if that's not followed up with ordinances that give the planning board clear direction and and areas where they can say yes we can control something, we can control growth. Uh, the planning board is just is is just sitting there approving things that people would like not approved. Right, and 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 the planning board doesn't do much planning. Um, the planning board is a really a reaction board, isn't it? That's correct. Right. And, th- and that's un- unfortunate, but, it, but it's often the case. And so many towns have, have, have said, if we're going to do planning, it's going to come through the comprehensive planning process. And that's where towns get kind of a sense of a vision. And the planning board is really um, reacting to, to proposals that come forward. Well, that's insightful of you because that's exactly what happens is, is many folks rely on the planning board mm. to control growth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't realize that the planning board cannot control anything. The right. planning board can only go by what the, re- the uh, ordinances say. Right. Well, let's just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns here this morning on WERU, and we're talking about constructing land use ordinances at work. So I think we've got some of the background out of the way, and our guests are helping us with that. Uh, Tom Martin is the Executive Director of the Hancock County Planning Commission. Noel Musson um, is with CES, Inc., an engineering and, and consulting firm, and Dale Sprinkle is the chair of the planning board in Surrey. Well, let's turn to what makes a good land use ordinances. Uh, that, that really works, that serves both the, the town and, and um, hopefully um, the developers, the, the landowners in that town. Tom, you recently um, conducted the, um, I think, the 10th in a series of, of workshops um, looking at the whole issue of, of sprawling patterns of development and helping uh, towns think about some of these issues. And, and this last workshop was called Constructing um, a Good Land Use Ordinance. What were the basics that you were trying to get across? Well, I think there were several things. The first is that a land use ordinance must be fairly detailed. There's, I believe, a misconception that if you have a fairly short ordinance, it will be uh, short and sweet for the applicant to walk through it. But what happens is you have ambiguity, mm. and that confuses things. So the longer, and I shouldn't say the longer, but the more detailed you have just to allow for various contingencies, that's a very helpful point. So um, uh, detailed and, and clear, clear yes, language? Yes, clear. Yeah. The second thing is to uh, distinguish between the various types of applications that come before you because uh, what scares some people about zoning is let's say there's a landowner in town who wants to sell off two lots so uh, the family can send their kids to college. Th- those 
those people need to have a more uh, expedited process uh, than somebody who may be putting in a mini mall or some major development. So that's another uh, so a scale of the of our kind of uh, the the punishment fits the crime, so to speak. Yeah. The, the idea that you've got an ordinance that um, differentiates between large scale development with many complications and small scale development. Yes, mm-hmm. I would say that a third thing is to uh, make the language very clear in terms of uh, where you go for what. So that make making it very easy to read by having good cross references, having very clear definitions, is very important. Mm. Noel, from your standpoint, you've probably seen many different um, kind of shades of, of zoning ordinances. What makes a good ordinance from your standpoint as a developer yeah. or representing developers? Um, I, I guess I just reiterate what Tom was saying. I think, from my perspective, ordinances are clear and concise in their intent. Um, for example, if you if you have an area where you know you want just single-family housing, make sure it's very clear. Um, if, you, if you're allowing multifamily residential in a certain area, make sure it's clear. Uh, clear definitions. Um, you know, people like me sit around during the day and think about different ways to interpret ordinances and definitions, and it's it's really nice to be able to have something that's clear and an ordinance that's sort of organized. A lot of some older ordinances are sometimes sort of piecemealed together, um, and it's really hard to flip through uh, one section and then have to f- try to find something else that's applicable to that development. So um, I think that type of ordinance is a good one. And, and another thing which may be um, a little bit contradictory, but some, an ordinance that's sort of flexible in, in what it allows you to do uh, regarding site-specific conditions, um, so it's not so rigid, mm-hmm. and it gives you the flexibility as a as a consultant and a designer to really create a good development that that is um, you know matches what the site conditions are. Mm. That's really important to think about um, because um, just as all people kind of aren't the same, they have different educations, they have different um, likes and dislikes. Land is the same way. Uh, there are different qualities in each piece of land, and to treat all land the same through an ordinance must be very difficult. And so you're saying, you know, have some general kinds of things, but then allow a little bit of flexibility depending on what you find when you actually look at the land. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think there are, you know, it can be kind of contradictory, I guess, when I'm saying I need, you mm. need a clear ordinance, mm-hmm. but at, on the other hand, you need to be flexible. But um, I think there, that's why I said clear in, it, in its intent um, and then flexible in its sort of um, more specific standards that would allow. So, yeah, you know. so that's another word, standards. Um, um, Tom, what's a standard in an ordinance? Does that, that mean that we're, we're saying we don't want the water polluted, so the, the developer has to prove that the water won't be polluted, but he has two or three different ways, he or she has two different ways to make sure the water isn't polluted. Is that uh, what we're talking yes, about? Yes, I would say so. I mean, using the example of water, what I would always recommend is have very specific standards that uh, water quality shall not fall below this level as specified by the DEP or the main drinking water program and the like. And so you focus more on the outcomes. Mm. So it's more telling people what you want for, for an outcome, not how you get there. Right, right. Well, Dale, from your standpoint as a, a chair, someone who um, both uh, kind of interprets this and helps other people understand a zoning ordinance, what makes a good zoning ordinance or land use ordinance uh, for, from your standpoint? Well, I'll just piggyback, piggyback here, if I may. Um, as Tom said, it needs to be uh, detailed. And, of course, there's nothing worse than facing a situation where 
there there aren't details and we don't know which way to go mm. and you're you're trying to figure which which is the proper way to go and there's no no clear guidelines and that's that doesn't work mm-hmm. uh, the other is is the flexibility and sometimes as planners um, we we try to be inflexible we try to make everything black and white and it doesn't work that way uh, if I made just a quick example of uh, on developments, we have a limit of uh, road can only be a thousand feet long. Hmm. Uh, one recently we had where that the thousand feet it ended at a precipice, <laughs> and it meant that a hillside had to be gouged out, and then the turnaround there would be on the edge of a cliff. Hmm. Whereas if it extended a couple hundred more feet, it was on on a knoll where there was nothing would have to be gouged out and it would be very safe to make the turnarounds mm. for fire mm-hmm. trucks and so forth. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you do have to have that flexibility, I think. Mm. Someone said um, the planning board needs something that's flexible. The code enforcement officer needs something that's very almost rigid and, 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 and not left to interpretation. Right? Yeah. What's the code enforcement officer's role, Tom, generally? Well, the code enforcement officer, first of all, grants permits for small developments that are not required to undergo planning board review. For example, if let's say you're just, you're just building a house, you may need a building permit. Mm-hmm. Or let's say you want to make an expansion of a house. The second job of the code enforcement officer is to see that the, uh, that the rules are actually enforced because one of the key things of any land use ordinances to assure that it is enforceable. And this is where you do need clarity of standards. So going out and doing site visits during construction, that would be uh, something that he or she would do. Another is just doing periodic uh, drives around town to see if anything is being built without a permit. Mm. So th- there's, a, there's a working relationship between all of these things. The comprehensive plan sets the, the broadest kinds of goals. The land use ordinance tries to write some things down that what's allowed and, and what zones. And that must relate to a map. Um, all of these relate to on the ground uh, and a, a boundary between one zone and another. Is that right, Tom? Yes. And mapping technology has improved greatly in recent years because now we have computerized mapping, GIS, so that allows production of much higher quality maps. And uh, every town needs to have a zoning map. It also needs to be something that it's easily explainable at a scale large enough so it can be read. And usually in the ordinance, there are details on how you, uh, what you do if there's a uncertainty of boundary locations. Mm. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about constructing workable and, and defensible land use ordinances, and our guests are uh, here in the studio with us helping us with that. You can participate if you've got questions or comments about uh, land use ordinances that work in your town. Give us a call at one 625 9378. That's 1-866-625-9378 if you've got a question for our guests um, or um, a comment yourselves. Um, the, the, the notion of all this working together, how do we get there? How, how do we actually write a, a good land use ordinance? I'll start with Tom and maybe um, our other guests um, have some thoughts about that. How do we write a, a good land use ordinance? Well, one of the most important steps is to involve the public to get an idea of what the citizens in your town want. Mm. Listen to them. What is it they consider as desirable uses? What is it they consider as undesirable uses? But also, I believe very strongly in stressing the point that there are not very many uses that are always undesirable. It's more a question of looking at the impacts of those uses. Like, for example, let's take, for example, a, a business park. Some people don't like the idea of having a business park near them 
because they're concerned about uh, property values, but people want the jobs. So what you do is you just require the business park have setbacks, have vegetated buffering and the like, and regulations on nuisances such as noise, dust, and glare, and you have, you're able to uh, have that use without too many adverse impacts. Mm. You're trying to create the best neighborly situations that you yes. can. Right. So um, asking the public what they want, and then I suppose um, either volunteer or, or professional planners try to, to look what else uh, has existed. They don't have to start from scratch. Um, they no. can look elsewhere. No, there's a broad, broad range of land use ordinances that have been done and it's just a question of looking what is suitable for your community. And you do have to do that with a certain amount of caution because I say to communities, never reinvent the wheel, but also be careful what you adopt. Like, for example, I've seen inland towns that have references to saltwater wetlands. I've seen towns about public water and sewer have references to sewer and water systems. So you have to do it with some discretion. And I think um, when I was in um, school, I learned about zoning and zoning it came out of the 19 a lot of it came out of the 1920s in Illinois and we have zoning ordinances in Maine that look like that but we're not Illinois so i think that that really th- those things need to be thought of i remember um a speaker saying um that many zoning ordinances in Maine don't allow the traditional new england village which was mixed use downtown kind of uh, people close together so that if we wanted to recreate a new england village we wouldn't be able to do that. Well, we do have a caller. Um, let's take that call and see what um, their question or comment is. Go ahead with your question, please. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. Hello. Yeah, my name is Michael Shell. Thank you. I'm actually, I'm actually a, a mayoral candidate in Belfast. Great. And um, we've had an issue that's pretty much split the uh, community right in, down the middle for the last eight years. Um, it's around Walmart uh-huh. one, or a big box store. Sure. People are tired of driving... Know, 30 minutes or longer out of town to to shopping and the other half of the community or so it seems about half um you know they really want to retain the quality of place and what makes Belfast special so you know after eight years the council has come to a compromise and they've allowed one property to be developed for retail and they're they're trying to um, create a, a in a way that it'll be a limit sprawl mm-hmm. it's just this one property for retail and i'm just wondering if anyone has any um People are also looking into having this area be uh, like multi-use. Maybe there'll also be some affordable housing there, and maybe like an internet cafe and trees, and people just exploring different ideas for this one space. And I was wondering if if you all have any experience dealing with Walmart, because it seems like the research we've done that's really the only big box that would be interested in coming here to provide to provide affordable shopping. It might not be true, but that's what it seems it seems to be the truth at this point. Um, so my question is, do you guys have any experience, in, experience dealing with Walmart, and are they willing to adapt sort of their, their standard business model to include sort of a, a green village or to allow mixed use of the, of the area? That's, your a, experience. that's a great question. Thanks for your call, and, and uh, um, we'll ask you to hang up now, but if you've got a further uh, question um, later on, uh, please call us again. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Tom, um, this, this notion of the big box, um, you've certainly encountered that in your career. Um, how would you respond to this, this question um, that comes from Belfast? Well, I think that you really need to have the regulations in place, first of all, to allow creative negotiation with the developer. The city of Burlington, Vermont, managed to get a Walmart to locate in its downtown area. Now, if that is not feasible, and there are many reasons why it might not be feasible, there are other ways you can negotiate if you have the land use ordinances in place. One of them is 
to look, as I said a few moments ago, at having larger vegetative buffers, having uh, l having the layout of the parking lots, for example, so you have more green space between uh, areas of parking, having setbacks so you, uh, between the uh, building and the sidewalk going up to the building so you don't have broad uh, expanses of concrete. Also looking at having a mixed-use zone adjoining the Walmart so you can have some other uses that may be smaller scale. Those are just some examples. And I want to stress that uh, it's not really a question of Walmart. It's a question of any large commercial development. And the American Planning Association has a publication regulating corporate franchises. And you can see many positive examples. And we're on the radio, not on television, so I can't flash pictures in front of you, many positive examples of how standard trademark signs can be made to look quite attractive. Mm. And the town of Freeport has certainly coped with that. And if you've driven to Freeport um, in the last, I guess, probably 15 years, anyway, you see a, um, a McDonald's, I guess we can mention that on the, on the air, which looks quite different than a McDonald's um, on most uh, kind of commercial strips. Um, Noel, this notion of, of negotiating um, with a developer, um, a developer has a bottom line. You know, they're, they're trying to uh, bring a project in, turn a profit, um, and do what the community wants. Mm -hmm. um, so put yourselves in, in the minds of a, a developer, and, and how would you respond to the caller? Well, I think uh, that was a good question from Michael. And, and I, again, I have to reflect back to what uh, Tom was met mentioning. But if the town has, has taken the leadership in, in creating um, some good, uh, what he called, you know, creative design standards, I think that's a really important first step in, in taking a comprehensive look at that area and what sort of transition areas might be there. Um, clearly, uh, retailers have um, done a little bit of research ahead of time to decide, you know, this is a market that could work for us. Um, and, I, and I do think that there are some things that they can negotiate on, um, but those standards have to be in your local ordinance in order for them and for the community to be able to have that constructive conversation together. Because if they're um, not written down, then it becomes a backroom deal, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, it does. Well, it could, you could. know, and it could. And, and I think, you know, you really are putting the, the planning board mm. um, in a situation where they don't have anything, you know, to go by. And, and they're the ones that are really doing the negotiations. You know, they're the ones that are, that are in a situation where, you know, somebody like me comes up with an application and says, this is what we're going to do. Um, like it or not, you know, if it's not if it's not a flexibility, mm. you know, issue, um, there's not a whole lot we can do um, if they're not, you know, sort of creative and and. So you have to have written st things written down, but then, as Dale and and all of you have said, you need some ability to be flexible and some probably some um, some guidance about how flexible you can be. Right. I agree. We do have another call. I'll list our phone numbers one more time. It's one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight, and we're talking about constructing good, defensible, and usable, workable t town land use ordinances here on WERU Talk of the Towns. Tom Martin is with us with the Hancock County Planning Commission. Noel Musson is with CES Inc., an engineering firm, and Dale Sprinkle is chair of the planning board in Surrey. We do have another call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi. Hey, yeah. Uh, Dave uh, calling from Brooklyn. Uh, and can you I'd turn like down? To, can you turn down your radio? I'd like to. Um, Thank you. Yeah, sure. I'd like to uh, address, or I'd like you to address the sort of other side of the spectrum from the big boxes, which is this ambiguous concept of uh, affordable housing. Mm. And um, we've had a little controversy here in Brooklyn about just what affordable housing means, how affordable it is. 
Uh, and um, how to quantify that, I know the state has set uh, uh, figures for what it, it considers to be affordable. Uh, and I, I know also that frequently zoning restrictions make it very difficult to build low-cost low houses and uh, very difficult for people who don't have a lot of money to remain in a community, say, in a, in a portable home of some sort for example, and these things can be done nicely. Mm. And I'm, I'm interested in uh, some conversation about how, while we're wor- talking about how to keep the Walmarts and such in their proper place, we can also leave some loopholes where uh, uh, the workers that uh, try and keep this all going can uh, remain uh, rooted in the community where their ancestors always were. Mm. Thank you so much for your call. It's a it's a wonderful question. Okay, I'm going to sign off. Okay, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Those whole question. We have one more caller. I'll, I'll come to them in a minute. Um, but let's let's get some responses around the the question of affordable housing. What's the definition? How do we how do we make it work? Noel, I know that you're grappling with that. Um, Tom, you must, and and Dale, you must see that that kind of question. What, what's a good definition, uh, Tom? We're, we're trying to in- intervene in the marketplace here. <laughs> you know, the marketplace is going to make all houses and all land very expensive. How do we intervene? Well, uh, first of all, in terms of what affordable housing is, the standard measurement is that a household should not spend more than 33% of its income on housing. And if you look at what the median incomes in Hancock County are and the median sales price, that uh, we're talking about now, there are very few homes for sale in Hancock County selling for under $150,000, $160,000. And many of the communities, the prices are much higher than that. So you're looking at people needing perhaps incomes of seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000, and there are not too many incomes that way. And furthermore, our income figures are somewhat inflated because about 25% of the incomes in Hancock County come from sources uh, such as dividend interest and rent, which is an indicator of the retired people that have moved here and are fairly well off, and the year-round people who are still working have much lower salaries. So uh, in terms of what you can do, there are a number of ways you can have in your ordinance if you have zoning an affordable housing bonus. So if you build homes that have some deed restriction that they be sold at a certain price and be resold at a certain price, you can have... uh, additional homes built or have some relaxation of some of the zoning standards. I could talk about it all morning, so... It's a, it's a subject for that. another show, and we'll yes. come back to that. Um, uh, Noel, you've, you've kind of come up against this, uh, both as a, as a, um, in your, your planning days, but now as a, as a professional consultant. How do you approach this issue of affordable housing? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think affordable housing is a really uh, interesting issue, both from a planning perspective and from a development perspective. Um, I think there's a lot of strategies out there to address affordable housing. Um, Tom touched on, uh, you know, from the development side, you really have to sort of incentivize um, the development of affordable units by, you know, increased density bonuses or... So uh, describe what that means then. Well, if if your standard zoning allows, um, you know, 10... 10 lots or 10 units, um, maybe there's some things that you can do to get 12 or 13 units or lots, um, and, and in return you give a couple of those back as as uh, affordable. And mm-hmm. how, how affordable is defined 
um, is also really interesting. I think uh, one of the best strategies is not to leave that um, definition or even management up to the developer. It's to to require that there's that the developer sort of partners with an an, an organization that manages affordability for the long term. Um, that way, that that mm. lot is protected over the long term. You know, those strategies are evolving all the time. Um, and another interesting piece to the whole affordable aspect is, um, you know, the definition, it may be a certain percentage of the area median income, but that's only a small segment of what, you know, may be affordable in, in Hancock County or, or where I live on MDI. Um, there's a lot of different market segments that you could consider affordable. And just taking a, the minimal percentage of, of the area median income doesn't even hit, mm. you know, the regular, mar- you know, it, it eliminates people because they make just enough to be, to not qualify for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's also opportunities to sort of hit a sort of an intermediate market segment. And I think I would kind of call those workforce housing. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody uses the same term interchangeably right. now. So right. um, it's, a, it's a complex issue. But I think there's a couple of organizations around that really do it well and, and are really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the Maine State Housing Authority um, in Augusta and their um, information is probably online. I know that um, Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island yep. and Mount Desert Island Housing Authorities, they actually work in Ellsworth as well. So there are groups out there. And I would say to, to listeners that if you are interested in this topic, find someone who knows something and, and convene a small group of people in your town to, to talk about how, how you might make it work. Dale, you must come up against this uh, question of, of how do you keep um, it affordable for people who grew up in, in Surrey, have ancestors in Surrey? How do they, how do they stay there when they're competing with people um, that have more money? Well, that is a complex problem. And um, I, was, I was decades ago in California working at a municipality when this term first mm-hmm. came about, mm-hmm. affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And it came about because we had industry, but people weren't who working at these jobs did not live near them. Right. And people that needed the work couldn't get to it. Mm-hmm. And so they developed the idea of affordable housing. We have to remember affordable housing is not a standalone term. Mm. Typically people who have who needs the uh, the assistance of uh, affordable housing also need jobs or if it's elderly they need transportation and they need um, medical facilities which are close by and transportation that's that's mm-hmm. available mm-hmm. so doing affordable housing in a very rural area where people can't get to work and they can't get to the, the drugstore and they can't get to the hospital is but I, but I think the the fellow from Brooklyn was saying what about the carpenters the plumbers the teachers the nurses the people who who have cars they have they have jobs, but they aren't able to buy a house in the community that they work in. So I, I think we're, we're we're beginning to see that it's not income or not housing for the lowest income because we we do have government programs for that. But it's for this middle range that is being so priced out. Um, it's it's a dilemma. Let's see if we've got a, we've got another call. We'll see if we can um, break this dilemma. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yes, uh, this is uh, Rich from Subban. Yes. And uh, I, I lived uh, down on the Cape uh, for a while and in a town. Um, and, uh, and one thing that happened to us uh, during that time that I got involved in was uh, uh, the proposal of uh, putting a cell phone antenna in, in a church right in the middle of town. Um, some people were uh, feeling that it was, that it was uh, possibly hazardous to your health. Um, 
And they also, you know, another site that they wanted to uh, uh, site a, a tower was near the police station where there already was a tower, um, and but the school was right near the police station. Um, and something I learned is that uh, back in 1986, there was a communications bill that went on in the, you know, in the federal government, and um, it's if somebody wants to put a cell phone tower in your town, you have to take it, and your neighbor could could rent space in his yard, and as long as he has enough setback, you can have you know one of these things in your in your right next door. Mm. So let's get some comments from our guests to see um, if they've dealt with that issue. Thanks so much for your call. You're welcome. Um, Tom, do you know anything about cell phone towers as our resident expert here? Well, I, I know a fair amount because I've helped a number of towns produce uh, telecommunication tower ordinances. Mm. And there are models available if one is interested and one can look on the state planning office website. That's uh, part of the state government website. Uh, in brief, I think the idea of putting the towers together or co-mingling, like putting them on a church steeple or putting them on the existing police tower, that's something that towns have the option to require. You cannot exclude a cell tower from your community, but what you can do is uh, what is called co-mingling, put it on an existing tower if the standards can be met. Mm. And the the question of, of health impacts is still under, under some debate, um, I suppose. I honestly don't know what mm. those are. Mm. Well, let's let's come back to the the question of constructing good land use ordinances, and what's what's the the downside of this if if you don't have a good land use ordinance? Um, probably each of you have kind of come into um, situations where the the ordinance hasn't worked. Um, no, um, what happens in those kinds of situations? Well, I think uh, a lot of things could happen. Um, first of all, you may get development that you don't really want. Mm. Um, in your community uh from a from a developer's perspective it's going to cost more money because there could be more chance of a, an appeal um you know you're and you're spending more time back and forth with the planning board trying to negotiate something that there are no clear standards on and you have to bring in the attorneys to try to negotiate all that so it, it could really spiral i think into something that nobody really wants so that's mm. that's why it's important to have you know clear and concise so you're saying from a developer's standpoint, you'd, you'd rather have a really good ordinance than, than a sloppy one? I think so. I mean, you know, again, you're not – from a developer's perspective, they're not paying me to sit down and try and figure out the ordinance um, that isn't very clear. And you could mm. – something that might take me half a day to understand takes me two weeks to understand. <laughs> or, um, you know, you get to a planning board and even the planning board doesn't understand that and, mm. and you're not trying to apply something that is a stretch – um, it just gives us all something to kind of go by, um, and you, then again, and, and really not not to offend any of the attorneys out there, but you don't have to. I think once you bring in attorneys, sometimes it can also create a sense of um, um, adversarial mm. approach, and that isn't always what what we want. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's sort of the an outcome mm -hmm. and outcome of, mm -hmm. of those types of ordinances. Dale, how about you? Um, what's your sense of of what happens when you your ordinance isn't up to up to speed or up to snuff? What happens? Well, then the chair of the planning board gets blamed for things that happen, <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, 
That, that really is true. I'm yes. serious. Yes. Because uh, then uh, the, the board can only do what the regulations say. And Tom has said it repeatedly. He's, he says when you have it in place, mm. like the Walmart issue, when you have the codes, the ordinances in place, and that's key. You just have to have them in place, so you have to anticipate and uh, failure to do so, you can't then say, well, I'll let the planning board take care of it. Mm. It isn't going to happen. Right. Well, this brings up, I think, the question of, of uh, can you give towns some breathing space in order to create and get in place those ordinances? So the whole question of moratoria. Tom? Yes. There is what's known as a development moratorium, which can be either town-wide or for a specific use. Like, for example, I believe that the city of Ellsworth is either contemplating or has enacted a moratoria on uh, methadone clinics for a period of six months to give it time to develop appropriate ordinances. Mm-hmm. In the town of Mount Desert, they were looking at the question of building on steep slopes. And I understand that they grappled with that. They tried to come up with something. And they said, no, it's too complicated. We're, we're not going to go the moratorium route. Um, yes. Uh, I... I'm somebody who's not a very strong believer in moratoria. And the reason being that, first of all, six months is not a lot of time. If you don't have a comprehensive plan, a comprehensive plan normally takes about two years. Drafting an ordinance should take time because if you rush through it, you're going to make mistakes and you're just in more trouble. Mm. And also, I think there are questions of legal challenges. I'm not, a, I'm not a lawyer, but I think it's far better just to proceed deliberately in drafting your ordinances rather than uh, depend on moratoria. Mm. It, uh, honestly, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I... I worked in a town where we had a moratorium um, in place when I when I started, um, and a lot of times they're reactionary. They're reactionary to a project that ha- that stems from an ordinance that isn't very clear to begin with. Right. And you know, it's it's it is good to give them breathing room, but I think the reactionary part of it is what's um, a little concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, it's legitimate to to have time to develop things, but. Um, if it seems to be penalizing one particular project or, or landowner, um, yep. then it gets a difficulty. And that's where Tom is saying maybe there are some legal questions because remember we talked about that bundle of rights. Mm-hmm. If you have the right to develop your land and somehow the town takes that away, even for a, if it's for a, a six-month period, there's some economic impact on that and maybe the town needs to compensate a landowner. Uh, a very difficult set of um, circumstances. Well, we've, we've talked about what might happen if, if things um, – um, don't go well. Um, what are some of the lessons that you learned from your kind of careers in this? Uh, if you had advice to give um, um, uh, a listener who's in a, in a town that may not have a great zoning ordinance or land use ordinance at this point, what advice would you give them? What lessons have you learned? We'll start with Tom and work our way around. Well, I would say the very first thing is to see if you have a comprehensive plan and when that comprehensive plan was last Revised because after 10 years, really, it's time to start over again and do a major update of the comprehensive plan. Mm. So looking at that, the, the, the basis for the land use ordinance is the, probably the most important thing. Yes, and the comprehensive plan should involve a thorough review of your existing land use controls that you have. Mm. Dale, what, what, what lessons have you learned as you um, has been chair of the, uh, the Surrey Planning Board around this issue? Well, I think uh, folks need to understand that uh, in, in proper planning and, and doing things the way the community wants, everybody's ox is going to get gored a little. Mm. Um, I know there are folks who would like to 
be able to develop their property, but they do not want the traffic that's associated with it and really don't want other people to develop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just can't be. We, mm-hmm. we all have to, to compromise on some things. So that, that really big, begins to talk about the definition of what is a community, you know, um, in that seems like it's kind of giving and taking a little bit. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Number one on the list. Right. Yeah. Noel, what's your, what's your take on this? What lessons have you learned? Um, well, I think um, what I've learned as a representative for developers is that, you know, there's a huge educational process, you know, when you're getting into some of these developments. Everybody has a legitimate concern, um, and I think it's really important to have a strong planning board and a, and a good planning board chair who can kind of keep keep the ball rolling in the discussion. And, and, and I think from our perspective as, as representatives, we have a good responsibility to try to understand where people are really concerned what issues they're really concerned with and how to try to communicate what we know uh, technically, you know, back into everyday language. Um, but you're never going to make everybody happy. And mm-hmm. I think the best you can do is try to, you know, mm-hmm. compromise in some way. Mm-hmm. So this notion of the comprehensive um, the roadmap, if you will. Um, how do you? How do, what's your um, success at getting people involved at that stage versus the stage that um, you know Noel comes to town and says, "I, I want to develop something," and all of a sudden the neighbors get involved. What, how do we get people involved at the right time so that their views can be expressed and ordinances get get written? Well, when I develop a budget for a comprehensive plan, a large part of that budget is citizen outreach. And this is done through mailings to everybody in town, having facilitated small group discussions, having uh, chapters posted on the website, having meetings with various interest groups in town such as the businesses, the uh, conservation commission, the, uh, if there's a housing committee. But I'll say in all honesty that it is hard to get people involved uh, in, early on in the process. <coughs> Um, so that that notion of of getting people involved early on in the process is is, is important. Um, is it is it just human nature that they don't get involved until there's a, a developer coming to town, whether that's a big box or it's a, um, a you know twenty unit um, subdivision? I think it's partly human nature. I think it's also in, indicative of the change in our civic culture that we've shifted from. You talked about the sense of community when most people worked in the community where they lived, and there was a single wage earner in the community. And now people, both spouses, may be commuting in different directions, so they have far less time dealing with child care, everything else, dealing with aging parents. I think that people's schedules have gotten far more busy. Mm. Uh, Noel, you've had lots of experience of trying to, to, to listen to people and get their, their ideas. Have you come in across anything that works to try to get everybody to agree on, on some of these things? I'm still working on that, Ron. <laughs> no, no, I think... Um, it's a really hard issue. I mean, um, when I worked uh, as a municipal planner, I was working on a comprehensive plan, and, and it's really hard to get everybody out there to try mm-hmm. to be on the same page. And in all honesty, I think you, you're always going to get a good reaction when you do a project in somebody's backyard. Mm-hmm. And that, that they have legitimate concerns. And, and I think we were talking about this earlier. Um, the visual piece to any anything is going to be critical, um, and I think that goes for developing a comprehensive plan. If you you can spend a lot of time talking about the ideas, but you really have to get down and show somebody, okay, 
you know, this is what it's going to look like. Mm. So uh, that notion of, of either a map or a graphic representation of what the words say. And, and uh, Tom, you're familiar with um, somebody named Randall Arndt who lives in Massachusetts and really has pioneered the idea that we can see pictures of what our land use ordinances um, deliver. Yes, Absolutely. Sometimes we call that visual preference survey, just showing people options and what they want. Mm. So if if you could get a group of people together and they, they talk about things, it's almost as though you need an artist or a, a graphic artist or somebody to say, do you mean this? And then show a picture and then people can say, well, no, that's that's those houses are much too close together. Mm-hmm. We think we need or, – or they're too far, far apart. They're, they're spaced out all over the land. That, those kinds of things, those pictures are, are really critical to, to uh, helping people understand what their town will look like with a certain set of ordinances. Absolutely. Yep. I agree with that. So um, what else would you like to have covered? We've got a couple of minutes here. Um, What resources, um, Tom, besides the Hancock County Planning Commission, and maybe you could list, um, you know, what you know about contact information for the state planning office or to advise people who aren't in Hancock County how they would get assistance? Well, each part of the state is served by a regional planning commission. If you're in the Penobscot, Piscataquis area, it's Penobscot Valley Council of Governments, which is uh, part of the Eastern Maine Development Corporation. If you're in the Midcoast area, it's the Midcoast uh, Regional Planning Commission, which is in Rockland, and then in Washington County, the Washington County Council of Governments. And then I, I think that covers most of our great, listening great, area. Great. And then another source is the State Planning Office has a very good website. There's some information on the Maine State Planning, uh, excuse me, Maine State Housing Authority website. Great. Um, Noel, have you come across places where you go to get good information about some of these issues? Yeah, I, honestly, I do a lot of inform- I do a lot of researching on the on the internet. Mm. Um, there's lots of information out there. Um, but I, I guess I would also encourage people who really want to understand sort of land use issues is that um, the the internet is that the source where you can get some general information. But you know, talk to professionals, talk to builders, talk to carpenters, um, mm. talk to contractors, people who do it every day because there's some some issues that you might not understand, you know, and I don't even understand sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until I start talking to them about, okay, well, why can't we do it this way? Right. You know, there's a lot of reasons why, and, and if you're sort of in an educational mode, then you can really talk to them and try to figure out, okay, well, why, why, are, we, why are you doing it this way? There must be a is there a good reason or isn't there? Sure, sure. So, And that notion of using the Internet um, perhaps is a useful way to find out. We, we don't have big travel budgets in, in our local towns, but we can kind of surf the web, I suppose, to find out, you know, um, what other towns are doing with the kinds of situations that we're finding in, in rural um, coastal Maine. Well, we've come to almost the end of the hour. Um, oh, I, I just did want to say that we'll try to come back to the question of affordable housing and its complexity at a future program. So thanks again for that call, um, I believe, from the town of Brooklyn. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second Friday of this time for Family Radio Forum and on the third Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach. 
on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests who helped us with the topic of constructing land use ordinances at work, Tom Martin of the Hancock County Planning Commission, Noel Musson of CES Inc., an engineering firm, and Dale Sprinkle, chair of the uh, planning board in Surrey. Thanks to our uh, those who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. <laughs>